Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. And, uh, and with Christmas, with Christmas comes joy, doesn't it? Yeah? Christmas joy. Do we know that? Do we know that in this place this morning? Christmas, Christmas joy is kind of one of the uh, one of the one of the uh, staples uh, of Christmas. Uh, is uh, is Christmas joy? I don't know how you've come into this uh, into this place this morning. I don't know um, what, uh, what what you're bringing with you, what situation uh, or circumstance you find yourself in this morning. Uh, but Christmas is uh, is is uh, is uh, sort of stereotypically, if you like, a time of joy. It's a joyous. Uh, uh, time when many think when many of us think of Christmas, we think of joy, don't we? Yeah, do do we make that connection in our minds? Uh, even if, even if the actual experience that we have in our minds, sorry, that we experience doesn't live up to what we have in our minds. Yeah, anyone had that? Yeah, where you got you got sort of this idyllic picture of uh, of a joyous occasion with all the family round and everything's going to be joyous and glorious, and uh, it doesn't actually uh, sometimes work out in that manner. Uh, but uh, but even so, generally society associates Christmas with joy. Yeah, got some examples examples of of things that we uh, that we associate with joy at christmas perhaps when we when we're snuggling in and watching a christmas film anyone start watching christmas films yet yeah it's the same films every year isn't it yeah if i have to watch muppets christmas carol it's sacrilege to charles dickens um, yes it is it's an awful film sam watches it at least four times every year um, but uh, but snuggling up watching a Christmas film, the jovial time spent putting up the Christmas tree, uh, as we as we've said, decorating the house, uh, gathering the family round, yeah, into a room that's far too small uh, to play a game, Pictionary. Who likes Pictionary? Yeah, of course you do, Sam. <laughs> Hate Pictionary. I'm sounding really quite, you know, scroogey, aren't I? Like bar humbug. Oh, I don't like Pictionary. I don't like Christmas films. I was only forced to put up lights. <laughs> I do like Christmas, really. It's great. No, it is. It's good. Uh, constant eating. Yeah. Grazing. We call it that, don't we? Because it sounds a bit healthier somehow. Grazing with a cheese board that's always just out. Uh, and presents. Presence. I mean, the giving and receiving of uh, of presents of of gifts. And you know, even even as adults, I was thinking about this uh, this uh, this week. Even as adults, um, we we still bring uh, we still get get happiness, don't we, from uh, from the exchange of presents and, and watching other people exchange presents. I think it's because uh, you know we're, we're sort of we remember it as a, as a kid, don't we? Remember coming down on Christmas morning and uh, and seeing uh, seeing presents, wondering if Santa's been and uh, and, and opening presents. And we still associate that joy uh, now, even as adults, or perhaps some of us are still in a place where we're genuinely wondering if Santa has been. We need to have a chat after the service, if that's you. But uh, but I like Christmas. It's uh, it's a time uh, it's a time of joy. And uh, and here's the thing, though these these joy bringing elements uh, that are part of our modern 21st century uh, Christmas, they're all great, aren't they? The thing, things I've I've said, they're great. Yeah. No one got a problem with any of the things I've said. Great stuff. But they're also really quite new. Did you know that? 
They're, they're quite new. I don't know if you know this, but Christmas as we know it is actually fairly modern. It's, it's far more modern than perhaps you think. I've got a small timeline of Christmas if you're interested. I'm going to give it you anyway. December 25th, the date that we celebrate Christmas on, this was a date that was established as the date of Christmas, established as the, the date of the, the birth of Jesus, uh, somewhere between 200 and 300 years after Jesus was born. Uh, it, uh, it was established then. Uh, it's actually far more likely that Jesus was born in March or April time. So I don't know how, how that's going to rock your entire worldview. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's entirely incorrect. December the 25th was actually a very popular holiday uh, in, uh, in the Roman Empire uh, because it was already a holiday called the day of the birth of the unconquered son. Right? It's, the, uh, it's the winter solstice, and it celebrates uh, the, the, the time in the year where the days start to get longer. doesn't feel like it, does it? But, but they do actually start to get longer, and that's good for agriculture, good for the harvest. And so it was a, a holiday in, in the Roman Empire. And early uh, church Christian uh, missionaries paired up the likenesses of existing sort of uh, pagan holidays uh, with the truth of the Bible as a way to help show people the real truth. Uh, so it's, it's, it, they were effectively saying, yes, there is the birth of an unconquered son. But let me show you the truth about that. Uh, so uh, so that's, that's December 25th for you. Did, did anyone know that? No. You're welcome, Alan. You are very welcome. But even so, even so, Christmas wasn't actually uh, really celebrated uh, at all as a, as a proper sort of festival until the 9th century. 9th century, that's the 800s. And, uh, and even then, it wasn't given the same level of importance as Good Friday and Easter. It was just sort of there uh, in, in kind of the background, not too important, really. Um, it, uh, it wasn't until... The 16th century, uh, that people started to decorate Christmas trees that originated in Germany, uh, is, uh, is thought. It's not until the 18th century that people began giving gifts to family members. Uh, and, uh, and originally, and, and this is still why we give gifts today, because it's a symbol, it's symbolic of the greatest gift that God gave us, uh, that of his son, Jesus Christ. And so the exchanging of gifts is a symbolic gesture to remember uh, gift giving, the gift from God. And then it wasn't until the Victorian era in the 19th century that Christmas really began to be celebrated as it is today with significant feasting, uh, elaborate celebrations and, and gift giving and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, we can thank uh, the 20th, late 20th and early 21st century for sort of the modern day Christmas, the sort of consumerism uh, Christmas that we've got today. Uh, all Santa Claus and, and St. Nick and all that sort of stuff. St. Nick's Day, by the way, uh, St. Nicholas, uh, the person on whom the figure of Santa Claus is based, uh, patron saint of, uh, of a number of things, uh, including children. His feast day is actually on the 6th of December. So that's close enough, isn't it? Kind of. It's all December related. And uh, originally uh, depicted rather gaunt and, uh, and, and usually in, in a green robe. It wasn't until 1931 that Coca-Cola's advertising campaign transformed Santa Claus uh, or St. Nick into the uh, jovial uh, man of uh, great girth uh, in red. 
Coca-Cola red. So that's Santa Claus for you. So these these elements are a lot of the a lot of the things that have uh, that have come throughout uh, throughout the the centuries uh, changed and adapted over time by uh, by people. Uh, a lot of these are, are are the things are the elements that we associate uh, with joy uh, at Christmas time. But how can it be that if these are the elements and these are the things that we associate with joy and but they're new? They're modern and they've, they've been changed, they've been adapted, they've been bolted on over time. And so it leaves this question, well, if that's the case, if these elements that we associate with joy at Christmas time are fairly new, then is there really any real joy in the original, real Christmas story without all the bolt-ons? That's the challenge, that's the question uh, that, uh, that, that I'd like us to, uh, to think about this morning, to investigate uh, real biblical Christmas joy. Real biblical Christmas joy. And so our primary scripture today for consideration is found in Isaiah chapter 9 and, uh, and it's verse 2 to 3. And so before uh, we read that, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for Christmas time. We thank you that, uh, that, that you sent your son. That uh, that we that we can uh, we can rejoice in the birth of uh, of Jesus of Emmanuel God with us and Lord as we open the Scripture this morning would you teach us would you lead us would we know what it is that you want to speak to us and would we find uh, the real joy not the uh, not the happiness that's associated with uh, uh, with with things that fade but the real uh, genuine joy that comes at Christmas time from you Amen. Amen. So Isaiah then, chapter 9 and verses 2 to 3, it says this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. As a people, rejoice at the harvest. As warriors, rejoice when dividing the plunder. So here Isaiah is prophesying this time of joy. This is a, this is a prophecy that Isaiah is uh, speaking and he's prophesying a time of joy. A time, in fact, of enlarged joy, increased joy. People walking in darkness will see a light and they will rejoice before the Lord. Isaiah prophesies about the coming of Jesus. In fact, it's only a few verses later in in the same chapter, Isaiah 9 and verse 6, where we read perhaps one of the most uh, well-known Christmas verses. You'll find this on Christmas cards all over the place. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6, 4. Unto us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is Isaiah prophesying about the birth of Jesus and a time of great and significant joy. And I think we can take joy for granted at Christmas sometimes. I think, I think we, can just, we can just assume joy. We sing songs about it, don't we? Joy to the world. Do we know that one? Yeah? Oh, got a surprise for you. You just wait. Uh, we sing songs about it. We speak of Jesus bringing uh, joy uh, at his birth and, and with the birth of Jesus. But I don't want us to simply talk about joy and just assume uh, uh, that, that, that joy comes with Christmas. Uh, I want us to understand joy. Where is the joy? Why is the joy? 
Is it just something nice that we write on Christmas cards, or is there a genuine reason for the joy that we talk about at Christmas time? Or is it really just a shallow level of happiness that comes from the material consumerism that we've spoken about? And if there is a genuine reason for joy, what is it? What is it? We come across joy a few times as we read through the Christmas the Christmas story. For those of you that don't know, you can find them in your uh, you can find it in your Bibles, uh, mostly uh, in the books of uh, Luke. And Matthew uh, as well, uh, the, uh, the, the beginning chapters of both Luke and Matthew uh, tell the story of the birth of Jesus. And we come across joy several times, and I'll just uh, I'll highlight the joy in the Christmas story for you. Uh, the first time uh, that we sort of see joy is actually uh, quite, uh, quite a way before the birth of Jesus. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, in, it's in and through John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a chap that made the way for Jesus. Do you remember that when we read uh, when we read at the start of John? Yeah, John the Baptist makes way for Jesus. Uh, he prepares people uh, to receive uh, Jesus as he's coming. Uh, this is when Jesus is an adult, though, sort of thirty years later. We're we're thirty years uh, prior to that. Now we're looking at the birth. Don't forget. Uh, so John the Baptist made the way. John was likely the cousin of Jesus. We're not entirely sure about that, uh, but John was likely the cousin of Jesus and a few months older than him. His mother was. Uh, a lady called Elizabeth. And, uh, and when Mary, who is Jesus' mother, was told that she was going to have a son uh, and uh, would give birth to a baby that would be called the Son of God, uh, as soon as she was told this, she went to go and see Elizabeth, who was pregnant at the time with John. And we read this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, that's John, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, that's Jesus, should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And so we see joy occur even at the very mention and the very announcement of the birth of Jesus. We move on uh, and, uh, and we see the shepherds. The shepherds are the first people that find out about the birth of Jesus in sort of the, the, wider, uh, the wider space anyway. Uh, Sam spoke about the shepherds last week. Do you remember that? Who was listening? I was. Yeah, been back on the podcast as well. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, and uh, so the angels, uh, the angels came to, uh, to to greet the shepherds on the hillside. And we read in Luke two, uh, chapter no, verse ten says this. But the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people." And so when the birth of Jesus is announced uh, to the shepherds, the angel says, this is, uh, this is good news that will bring great joy. And finally, we see uh, the wise men. Wise men. Never called the wise men. Uh, but uh, the, the, the wise men who came, uh, the, the magi, 
Uh, they came uh, quite a while after uh, the birth of Jesus, actually. Uh, sorry to disappoint you, but the, uh, the, the picture of the, of the barn, you know, the stable with the sheep there and the, the shepherds at the same time as the wise men, there's usually an angel floating around as well. That's a fallacy. That never happened. Uh, the wise men, uh, the Magi, came several, uh, several months at least uh, after this. But anyway, the wise men came a bit later. They also had a joyful encounter. And we read in Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star that led them to the stable, which was likely not a stable, uh, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. And so once again, we see joy in the real Christmas story. There is joy at the very center of the Christmas story, even before Christmas trees, even before gift giving, even before feasting and days off work and Pictionary, (laughs) even before all these things, we see joy. But all the stuff that we uh, that we associate with joy now wasn't there at the time, but joy is still present. Do we do we see that in the Bible, or am I making that up? Oh, we see joy. I think so. It therefore stands to reason that the joy that we read about in the Bible, this true Christmas joy, is far deeper than the joy that we associate in the 21st century with this sort of Christmas hallmark holiday. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So these passages speak about joy, but they don't necessarily give a reason for the joy. They don't necessarily give a reason for the joy. Now, there's an obvious answer here. There's an obvious answer, and it's this, because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Uh, Come to earth. God with us. That's what the word Emmanuel means. God with us. uh, Here on earth uh, to be amongst his creation. And when the creator comes down to the creation, surely that's a joyous occasion. Yeah? If Jesus walked into this room right now, there would be joy. There is already joy, but there would be even greater joy, yeah? I imagine the sermon would be cut rather short. I think I'd get down, leave it to the expert. And, uh, and, and I imagine we'd erupt into a spontaneous uh, worship directed directly to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because there is joy. But there's something else going on that brings about this joy, and we'll need to look into the Old Testament to understand it. Is that all right? We open up the Old Testament this morning to understand what is happening in joy. To understand the joy that is at the birth of Jesus, we need to go back. We need to understand joy in the context of the people of God at the time. And so, um, so I want to do that. I want to I see where we see joy in the Old Testament. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 6. This is, uh, this is just a time after uh, David has defeated Goliath. Do you remember the David and Goliath story with the slingshot? Uh, yeah? Some of us do. Some of us need to go back and read First Samuel. Uh, that's fine. Uh, but when David has defeated Goliath, he comes back, he returns, and we read this. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out uh, from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres or lyres. After David defeated Goliath, there was joy, yeah? There was huge uh, joy, there was dancing, victory was won, and joy ensued. Later on in the, uh, in the, in the minor prophet uh, book of uh, Zephaniah, uh, we read this. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. 
Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Joy is set before Israel when God has ended punishment and turned back the enemy. Turned away the enemy. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? Are you beginning to see a pattern? I've got another one here for you. It's in Jeremiah 30, uh, 31. It speaks of the time that Israel was returning uh, from exile. Uh, from being exiled by the Babylonians. And we read this. Then, the, uh, then young women will dance and be glad. Young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. So after, after, after exile ends, after, after the, uh, uh, victory uh, is encountered, we see joy. There's lots of joy in the Old Testament. There's lots of joy in the Old Testament and there's a common theme uh, to God's people experiencing joy. Joy comes with the defeat of enemies. Joy comes with the defeat of enemies, be it the enemy that is uh, a a swarm of locusts that steal the harvest in Joel, uh, or or be it the enemy that is the Pharaoh that enslaves uh, uh, God's people in Egypt, in the book of uh, Exodus, uh, or uh, be it the enemy that is the Babylonians that take uh, uh, Israel into exile that we read about in Jeremiah. This is what brings joy to the people of God. When the enemy, when an enemy is defeated and there is victory in the name of God, it's not gifts, it's not turkeys, it's not games, it's none of these things, but victory over enemies. And here's the key thing as well. It's God's victory. It's not the people's victory over these enemies, but it's God's victory. When God delivers victory for his people, his people are joyful. This is what we see throughout the Old Testament uh, time and time again. And so uh, the first, uh, the first point then uh, that we have to make, if we're making notes, is this. Joy comes from God's victory over our enemy. This is the source of joy for God's people. So if we know then the true source of joy, we know the true source of joy, it's, it's God's victory, seeing God's victory uh, from a biblical perspective, and, uh, and that makes sense, doesn't it? It, it makes sense. It makes sense. When we see a victory in an area of our lives, we rejoice about it, don't we? Yeah? That, that's, I mean, that's just, that's just human, human nature. Victory sounds a bit medieval, doesn't it? Anyone else think that? No? Oh, I, I, did. I imagine like battle. I've just been watching The Last Kingdom on Netflix, which is brilliant. Uh, but I imagine victory, you know, sort of swords and, and what have you. I think it sounds a bit medieval anyway. And an enemy also sounds a bit old school, doesn't it? So, uh, so I think, it's, I think it's, it can be helpful sometimes for, uh, uh, to, to rephrase for a 21st century insight. Here's the thing. When we see a win in a challenging situation, we rejoice, don't we? We rejoice. We see joy there. Perhaps if you win in a job interview, you rejoice. You've seen victory over the enemy that is unemployment. Yeah? Perhaps, uh, perhaps if, you, if you reconcile a relationship with a, an estranged uh, friend or family member, you, uh, you see victory over the enemy that is relationship breakdown. Don't you? Perhaps if you overcome health challenges, either mentally or, or physically or, or, or whatever else uh, you, you might experience, you've seen victory over that particular affliction. In the Old Testament, 
as we read of God's protection and God's provision over his people, we see victories of the enemies that God's people face recorded. Sometimes those enemies are other people. They are other armies or whatever else it might be. Uh, But other times, there are situations, there are circumstances, there are things that God's people face. And when we see God's victory in human situations in the Old Testament, we see that God's people rejoice. We see that joy follows. But then the question is, if joy follows victory... If God's victory is a source of joy, how does the coming of a baby at Christmas time bring about victory, which is joy? See, the victories that we've spoken about, these sort of examples that, that, that I've given, uh, and there are many, many more examples, um, these, these battles that we face in our lives, they are important. And, 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 and sometimes they are the biggest thing that we can possibly see sometimes these situations that we face are are so big in front of us that we can't see anything other than the situation it even takes over our peripheral uh, vision sometimes these battles these enemies that we face are that big but there is an enemy that is even greater than these battles that we face the enemy that seeks to separate humanity from God The one who deceived Adam and Eve in Eden. The one who brought about the separation of humanity and God in the first place. Who introduced sin into the world. The one who comes to steal, kill and destroy. This enemy is the greatest enemy. This enemy is the greatest enemy. And the challenge posed by this enemy is the greatest challenge that humanity has. And most of humanity doesn't even know about it. The permanent separation from God. In 1 John 3, 8, we read, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil uh, has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil, the biggest enemy that we face. This is the truth. This is what the cross did. This is the, uh, the final battle, the greatest victory uh, that we see, the victory that took place on the cross. This is where our joy comes from. We read in Colossians uh, 2, uh, we read this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you, listen, alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, having victory over them by the cross. Now you might be saying this, you might be sat here and and you're wearing a Christmas jumper and you're uh, you're saying, Dom, this isn't Easter. Why are we talking about the cross? Why are we talking about the cross at Easter? But here's the thing, before the cross came the manger. Without the manger, there is no cross. The reason for the joy at the birth of Christ is because of what that little baby came to do. What the little baby came to do, the joy that surrounded the birth of Jesus, was a joy for a future victory. 
the victory of the cross was still 30 years away, wasn't it? If you think about it. We, we read it all in, in one, you know, in, in, in a few short chapters. And so we can, uh, we, sometimes we can perhaps miss the scale of time that occurs. But the victory of the cross was still 30 years away. And yet the joy was still present at the birth. Because the joy that was present uh, before the victory was because of a faith in the victory. And... And I think, it's, I think it's, it's, it's important for us perhaps to pause here for a reflection, for just a reflection of this principle. This is, a, this is a principle that we can draw from the Christmas story that I've never really thought about until this year. Our future victory, or God's future victory, is the reason for today's joy. And that's why James writes this in James chapter 1. He writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. It's one of the most challenging uh, passages of Scripture that we, uh, that we can read. Consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. The opposition that we face, the trials that we face, is an opportunity for us to see the victory of God. And it's therefore a cause for our faith-based joy. See, this is all about reframing our perspective, isn't it, I think? It's about reframing our perspective. See, in any trial or challenge uh, that we face, we have a choice and we can focus on one of two elements. One of two elements. We can focus on uh, the problem. We can focus on, on, what we, on what we see ahead of us, the, the thing, <coughs> excuse me, the thing that is often uh, so big uh, before us. <coughs> That's just incredibly unprofessional. I'm sorry about that. Um, we can choose to focus on, on, on the enemy, can't we? We can choose to focus on the problem. And church, that's likely going to take us down a spiral of negativity. And, uh, and, and it's, 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 it's going to be bad for our mental uh, well-being. And it's going to be a, a challenge for us. Or we can focus on the future victory that we will see. Which becomes our joy that comes from God. The Bible tells us, does it not, uh, in Philippians 4, uh, to focus on what is good, to focus on what is true, what is honest, what is just, what is from God, because it is good for us. Because it is good for us. To focus on the victory, to focus on, uh, on, on, on the victory that we, that we will see. And the challenges that we face, as James tells us, are an opportunity to experience pure joy because of a faith-based victory. Hebrews 12.2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Jesus approached the cross, the joy set before him because he knew what the cross meant. Because he knew that the cross meant victory over the greatest enemy. And you might be saying, well, you know, that, that cross, that's, uh, that looks pretty barbaric. That is, a, that is a medieval torture device right there. That's not joyous. Well, it is a medieval torture device, absolutely. But what occurred on the cross, the events that occurred on the cross and the eternal significance of the victory that was won there is a reason for great joy. The manger at Christmas means Jesus. Jesus means the cross. The cross means God's victory, and God's victory means our joy. That's where I believe the joy at Christmas comes from, the true joy at Christmas. Finally then, the joy... cut all this out of the podcast finally then the joy that we are reminded of at Christmas the same joy by the way that is for all the world for all the world for any individual who wants to share in it that's why we sing joy to the world the joy that does not come from external circumstance but from the victory we share in through the actions of Jesus on the cross the joy of the Lord which is our strength Did you know that? It's in Nehemiah 8, I think. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The very joy that we experience because of a faith in the victory of God is the strength that we need to get through that exact same situation. And it's available to us. But this joy is the evidence of our salvation. It's a proof that we share in God's greatest victory, regardless of what's going on around us. And it is a right that no one can take away. Galatians 5 lists, uh, lists the fruit of the Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit. These are the evidences, the characteristics that, we will, that will be evident in our life that, that cannot help but come to the surface. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, when the Holy Spirit is guiding us, Leading us, comforting us. And Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit as these. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There is no law. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in us, as I say, guiding us, teaching us, counseling us, doing just as Jesus promised he would do. And these characteristics, they're not able to be influenced by our external circumstances because they come from inside and go out rather than originate out and go in. They cannot be taken away by the world because the world didn't give them. They're given as gifts by God, as evidence that we share in the victory, that Christ is with us, Emmanuel, and that the Holy Spirit is guiding us. And so for us this morning then, as, we, uh, as, as I draw this uh, sermon to a, to a close, perhaps a, a bit of reflection.
Perhaps a bit of reflection. Perhaps there are two uh, groups, two people in here this, uh, this morning. Firstly, perhaps for those of us who don't feel like you're experiencing the joy of the Lord. You don't feel like you're experiencing the joy of the Lord. And perhaps that, that very idea, that very uh, thought is enough to make you worry. And consider, I don't feel the joy of the Lord. Am I even saved? And I'd like to encourage you, if, if that's you, if that resonates with, with you this morning, to know that you are saved. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. And the joy that comes from knowing that he has won your ultimate battle, that joy belongs to you. But perhaps spend some time considering joy. What do you mean by joy? What do you expect of joy? Are you expecting this, uh, the, the fleeting happiness? The happiness that comes when everything is going well in your life and the happiness that, that disappears when things aren't going well in your life. The feeling that comes from a situation, perhaps. The feeling that comes from, from some of the elements of Christmas that we've spoken about uh, at, at the start. The feeling that comes from circumstances. Good though these things are, these are not the joy of the Lord. You might have to dig a little bit deeper. Put aside your expectations of uh, fleeting circumstantial happiness and find the deep joy. The one that comes from knowing your eternal destiny. The one that comes from knowing that you are a child of God. That comes from knowing that Jesus loves you so much that he came to die on a cross to rid you of the sins that held you away from eternity with God. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you're worth. Perhaps to the second group of people in this place this morning. To the person who has yet to experience this joy at all. Who doesn't know of the joy of the Lord. Perhaps gone through life relying on, on the joy that the world gives. And takes away. as and when it pleases. Perhaps hopping from one situation to another, drawing temporary happiness from things that are going on around you, but never really knowing the true joy of the Lord. Never knowing the joy that comes from the knowledge that the battle is won and sharing in the victory of the cross. And if that's you this morning, perhaps there's a moment of reflection for you to consider your source of joy. Are you expecting to find it in the world or will you find it from God? Will you put your faith in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? There's an opportunity today as we worship to pray a prayer in your heart, perhaps for the, for the first time, 
that says, Lord, I have spent too long trying to find joy from the world and it lets me down and I can't do it anymore. And Lord, I want to put my faith in you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, God, for dying on the cross for me. I need you in my life. And as we worship, band are going to lead us. As we worship, perhaps these elements of reflection are for you this morning. That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.